Welcome to Faithful Echoes, the sermon podcast from St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. New episodes are available every Monday featuring the Collect of the Day, Scripture readings, and Father Joel Huffstetler's insightful sermon from the previous Sunday. Perfect for catching up on missed sermons or revisiting favorites, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and our website at www.stlukescleveland.org backslash podcast. Subscribe now for spiritual reflections that fit seamlessly into your week. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, enkindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the book of Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed for this morning is Psalm 147, verses 13 through 21, found on page 805 in the Book of Common Prayer. We will read responsibly by half verse. Worship the Lord, O Jerusalem. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has established peace on your borders. He sends out his command to the earth. He gives snow like wool. He scatters his hail like breadcrumbs. He sends forth his word and melts them. He declares his word to Jacob. He has not done so to any other nation. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you're no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to St. John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Each week, work week, when I'm to preach on Sunday, I budget the better part of a work day to prepare the sermon. On a good week, I spend about half of Friday doing my research. I spend time with my commentaries and other books. And then I sort through all that research and take notes and thoughts start generating in my head where the sermon might head. On weeks that don't go quite according to plan, sermon preparation is an all-day Saturday thing. And on weekends when I have a wedding or a funeral on a Friday or Saturday, oftentimes the work on the sermon goes well into Saturday night. We in the trade call those Saturday night specials when we're, when we're still at work. Uh, on Saturday night. There are nights when Debbie gets caught up on Law and Order or HGTV. Uh, I can hear it faintly through the door as I 
work away in my study. So about half the time of sermon preparation is study and reflection on that study and note-taking and letting ideas come to mind. Some of them I let go, some of them stick, and slowly but surely it comes together. And then about half of my sermon prep time is actually putting words on paper. When I get to that point, every week I stop and say a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, please give me the words you would have your people hear. I pray that same prayer every week when it comes time to actually write out the sermon. But then after that prayer, there comes that moment when every week I've got my pens in place, I've got my incense wafting, uh, frankincense and myrrh, by the way, during Christmas and Epiphany. Absolutely. But there comes a point when I look at a blank sheet of paper, and it's time to go at that point. For about half my career, I saw that blank sheet of paper as a daunting challenge, something I had to do. Later in my career, thank goodness, I now see that blank sheet of paper as a blank canvas and as an opportunity to say something meaningful in the name of Christ from the riches, the glories of Holy Scripture. So it was the same with the Gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after their preparation... And after their time of prayer, they too looked at a blank sheet. And they had choices to make. Yes, of course, we think about the Gospels, and of course they share much in common. But it's important to remember that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each are written from a distinctive point of view. For instance, Matthew and Luke choose to start their Gospels with infancy narratives or birth narratives. It's Luke that Linus looks to when he says, Lights, please. <laughs> right? One of the great moments every year in the lead-up to Christmas. We schedule our evenings around when Charlie Brown's going to be on in Advent. <laughs> Seriously. Lights, please. And then what do we hear? Luke's infancy narrative. Most scholars think Mark is the first gospel to have been written, and Mark is a little less complex than the other gospels. And so Mark just dives right in with the story of John the Baptist and Jesus. There is no birth narrative in Mark. Most scholars think that the gospel of John is the last gospel to have been written, probably around 90 A.D. And John chose to do something completely different as he introduces his gospel. He offers us what we call the prologue. Verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1 of John. Our gospel lesson for today is called the prologue to John. And it's one of the great passages in all of Scripture. In introducing the prologue in his commentary, Fred Craddock writes, 
All the qualities one could ask of a text are here. Truth that is timeless. Ideas which stretch the mind and imagination. Affirmations that are life-giving. Significance for every human being. And a central theme which gives the passage unity and completeness of thought. It's a marvelous summary. It's a marvelous way to introduce the prologue. All the qualities one could ask of a text. That's high praise. And it's deserved. Craddock offers further. This text resists mastery, towering above all the homilies which have attempted to reveal its heights. Craddock's right about that. We can't master the prologue. I'm here this morning to present it to you, not to offer any mastery over it. Importantly, Craddock reminds us then, texts do not always have to be mastered. One definition of a classic is, a classic is never finished with what it has to say. It's a great definition of a classic. A classic is never finished saying what it has to say. The prologue is a classic of ancient literature. And the goal is not to master its contents, but to hear over time the meaning, the person, the coming of Jesus Christ. Craddock concludes regarding the prologue, it is hardly surpassed when expressing the inexpressible. I do want to offer that phrasing for you. Trying to explain the mystery of God in Christ. At one level is impossible from a human point of view. Craddock saying to us, the prologue does as well as any piece of literature ever has in expressing the inexpressible. If someone were to come to us and say, tell me the essence of Christianity, help me understand the essence of Christian faith, we could do a lot worse than leading that person to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In commenting on the prologue, Kent Hughes writes about John, The force of what he says is so staggering that the words almost seem to bend under the weight they are made to bear. And I do want to offer you that mental image. Think about the words we heard when the gospel was being read. And just picture them in your mind, bending under the weight of the significance of what the words mean. It's a beautiful mental image of the words bending under the weight of the meaning they intend to convey. For instance, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. Picture those words bending under the weight of their meaning. 
Hughes says further, The simple sentence of verse 1 is the most compact and pulsating theological statement in all of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hughes concludes in his introductory comments to the prologue, the entire gospel is, in a sense, an elaboration on John 1, verse 18. The prologue ends, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. In culture, we are to the point now where we are hearing and saying, Happy New Year, and that is right. That is where we are in culture. I do want to remind us that it's still appropriate for Christians to say Merry Christmas. We're given a season to remember the Incarnation, not just a day. We leave the decorations up. We keep singing Christmas hymns because we're still in the season when we remember the extraordinary gift, the mystery, and the love conveyed to humanity in the Incarnation. No one's ever said it better than the author of John in the prologue in verse 14. And the Word became flesh, And lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son. Full of grace and truth. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. The word became flesh. And lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So I conclude with this. In Westminster Abbey, in 1986, on Christmas Day, the dean of Westminster, Michael Main, said this in his Christmas sermon. It is a fact so simple that a child can grasp it, a mother and her baby in a manger. And yet, it is a mystery no words can properly capture or describe. God made man. A mystery which will only reveal itself at all to those who approach it like a child. With a childlike sense of wonder and a child's sense of trust. For what Christmas declares is this, that God makes himself known in Jesus Christ. And that he makes himself known as love. The hymnody today perfectly reflects this balance that Maine is talking about. We have the exuberance today of good Christian friends rejoice in joy to the world at the end. Exuberantly joyful Christmas hymns, yet perfectly placed in the middle of the liturgy is the haunting, let all mortal flesh keep silence. The hymnody represents the childlike joy of Christmas and the deep, inexpressible mystery that is the incarnation.
Some of us were here on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock for the Christmas pageant. It was absolutely glorious. The children and the youth were wonderful. It was so great to hear the clang of folding chairs again on Christmas Eve. Every minister, I think, in the world loves the sound of folding chairs, right? For the first time since the pandemic, the church was again filled to overflowing on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, and it was a beautiful experience to be a part of. We had a full-fledged Christmas pageant this year. If you haven't seen it, Dial it up on uh, our platforms. It's a beautiful offering. As I was sitting here simply taking in the pageant, I was perfectly aware, sitting right there, that I can't add a word to this. At one level, this is the best Christmas sermon possible. These children reminding us of the story of Christmas. I knew full well I didn't have a word to add to it, and didn't. Perfect simplicity. Childlike faith and trust. But then came the late service. Those of us who were here know the magic happened. You can just feel the holiness in that moment. There's just an electricity in here. That's impossible to describe. And on Christmas Eve at the late service, I am aware that I think it's the most important sermon I preach all year. Because somehow at that late service, it's up to the preacher to somehow find the words that speak to the depth of the mystery. So a children's pageant is a perfectly wonderful way to convey the message of Christmas. And yet we also need words to acknowledge and to speak to the depth, the riches of the mystery of God made man. Again, Maine, it is a fact so simple that a child can grasp it. A mother and her baby in a manger. And yet, it is a mystery no words can properly capture or describe. God made man. In a summary comment on the prologue to John's Gospel, N.T. Wright observes, It isn't just about the birth of Jesus, but about the full meaning of everything he was and is and did. Amen.